Well, what's good, church? Hopefully you are doing well. Hope you, hopefully those watching online, those here, this series has been helpful to you. This, this series has been inspiring to you. I really hope that's been the case because the feedback that I've been getting from so many people has been that this is a story I've heard many times before, but I'm getting so much out of this story. That's really cool to hear. So, today we're in week five of a six-week series called Ben Don't Break, and today when God provides opportunity. So, Ben Don't Break, when God provides opportunity. The reason why we say it like that is because maybe for you, you've been praying for an opportunity, and God may provide you that opportunity. However, there are times that he provides this opportunity with us. We haven't even asked for it, but yet he provides it. And we're going to see the reason why he does that and what our response should be. It's a common trait for us to pray for opportunity. It's a common trait for all of us in this room, whether you have a relationship with God or you don't. For, for some of you, you found yourself praying to a God you're not even sure if you believe in, but you're like, okay, God, even if you're there, and if you're there, I ask that you would provide me this. It could be a job. It could be win the lottery. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we would say, well, that, that's the God of the Bible. That's that's the only God. And you found yourself praying to God and saying, God, I, I want to be married. I don't want to be single for the rest of my life. God, I want you to bless me. God, I want you to allow me to be married. I want you to provide me an opportunity for so-and-so to see the errors of their way and they apologize to me and we restore that relationship. And God, I want my daughter, my, 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 my son to be freed from that addiction. God, I am asking that you provide me an opportunity to do this or that. I had a guy about a year ago come up to me and say, hey, can you pray for me? I have this interview coming up, and if I get this job, it's going to be a game changer. It's going to change our life. And I promise that if I get this job, I will give to the church. I promise that I will do this and I will do that. I believe this is going to provide a better life for my family. Okay, and so we, we stood there, we prayed, and there, God, I ask that you provide this, this, this person, this job. He believes that it is going to provide him and his family with a better life, better opportunities. He's able to invest that back into your kingdom. So, God, I ask that you would allow him to have this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. And would you know it, would you know it, few days later, I get a text. Hey, I got the job. A year later, this person doesn't even know if he believes in God. This person is miserable. And they never once did what they promised to do. See, the root word in opportunity, the thing that we're praying for is actually port. And port is an entryway by water into a city or a place of business. And so here's a picture of what a modern port looks like. Before you had the modern harbors, a ship had to wait. They had to wait for the tide before it could make it into the port. So what sailors had to do is they had to ride the tide into the port. This meant they had to wait, and it was a waiting game. And that waiting game in Latin was called ab when the tide was right, the port opened and allowed entry to do business, visit, 
or to invade or conquer. So only those who recognized the opening could take advantage of the open port or the opportunity. It comes down to whether we're ready or not for that opportunity. It really does. Like if we're praying to be married, are you preparing yourselves to a married life? Like, if you're, if you're a man, are you willing to sacrifice for your family? That means that you're willing to go to the back of the line all the time. That you're willing to put your spouse and eventually your kids ahead of you. Are you willing to do that? If you're, if you're a woman, are you willing to, to, to not be so independent but live with the man that you are called to, at times, yield to? Not to be a doormat. But to, be, to yield to him, to submit to him, are you willing to, to do that? Maybe, maybe for you, you're, you're praying for that opportunity for God to bless you. Well, are you living a life that is prepared to be blessed? And blessed, in the American sense of the word, is not necessarily the biblical sense of the word. Like if we're praying to be promoted, are we preparing ourselves for that position? Are we handling the current responsibilities we have well, are we a good teammate? Are we a good employee? Are we trustworthy? When we were, uh, before uh, Brooke came along, Jenny had mentioned to me, she said, listen, I want to stay home. So before Brooke gets into school, those first five years, I want to make sure that I'm a stay-at-home mom. And so what that meant to us is that we had to save like crazy. That's what that meant. So during that waiting time, we saved like crazy so that we could live on one income without sacrificing what we gave the church, what we saved, and what we lived on. So for us, we live on 75% of our income. We give 10 to 15% back to church, and we save 10 to 15%. We save about 10%. And we save about 10%. We live on 75%. Could we do that? We made it a way that we could make that work. Like we said last week, there is going to be a waiting period for all of us. And a waiting time, God does not waste our waiting time. So waiting time is not wasted time. But also for us, if we're waiting for God to do something, we're praying for something, that can't be wasted. We have to prepare for the thing that we're praying for. So since the world is bigger than just you, since the world is bigger than just me, God's purposes include more than just you, more than just me. So what if the opportunities that we've been praying for, the open doors that we've been praying for, include the benefit of other people? That the thing that we're praying for should actually benefit, not maybe not just us, but for our spouse, for our kids, for our neighbor, for our coworker, for the world. What if the opportunities weren't just for our benefit? What if God provided us opportunities for more than just us? What if God provided opportunities for more than just you? What if there was more to his plan and you get to play a part in it? And the truth is opportunities that God provide, provided to people in the Bible, like Joseph, was to benefit more than just him. It provided an opportunity to bless someone else. And so we're going to pick up our story. And as we do, like every week, it comes down to a promise that God made to Joseph's great-granddaddy, Abraham. The reason where we are in this part of the story is because of the promise that God made to Abraham. This was an unconditional covenant promise that God made to Abraham. 
That meant that Abraham was not on the hook to make it happen. God was. It didn't matter what Abraham did or didn't do. It didn't matter what his kids did or didn't do. It didn't matter what his great-grandkids did or didn't do. God was going to honor his word. He was going to honor his promise. So notice what happens. This is what he says. Leave your native country and your relatives and your father's family and go to land that I will show you. Abraham, I'm not going to tell you where to go. I just want you to pick up your stuff, take your family, and go, and I'll tell you when to stop the place where I want you to look. I will make you into a great nation. I know you and your wife cannot have kids, but one day you will have a son. Then he will have a son, and his name is going to be Jacob or Israel. And he's going to have 12 sons, and they're going to be the 12 tribes of Israel. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. He says, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. And notice this. One day, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. I'm sending my son, my one and only son, the Messiah, to save people from all over the world. People with different languages, people with different ethnicities, all through you. This is my promise to you, Abraham, that it's not just going to benefit you, but it is going to benefit other people. So last week we left off. Joseph is in prison. He's able to interpret a couple of dreams. Those, those come true. People forget about him. Pharaoh has a dream. No one can interpret it. They were like, ah, we forgot about a guy who could interpret it. So Pharaoh meets Joseph. He tells Joseph his dreams. Joseph says, well, only God can interpret. He's given me that gift. Let me explain to you that there's going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. He said, you got to be prepared for it. So Pharaoh takes him out of prison. He becomes the prime minister of the most powerful nation on the planet at the time. And we learned that waiting time is not wasted time. And it seemed like God was silent in the story, but he wasn't. He was allowing things to begin to take place for Joseph to be in this position. And it took him by complete surprise that he was going to be the number two in the country. So notice how Joseph names his firstborn son. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. He named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. See, he moved on from the misery of being separated from his family, especially his father. He wasn't expecting to see his brothers nor his father again, and it seems that he made peace with that. He didn't expect an opportunity to reunite with his family. And then something unexpected happened. The famine became very widespread. It affected Jacob and his family. So what Jacob did is he sent 10 of his sons down to Egypt while leaving Benjamin, Joseph's full brother, behind. (laughs) Because he didn't want any harm to come to him. He didn't want the same situation to happen that happened to Joseph. He didn't want it to happen to Benjamin. He could not fully trust his son. So he listen, you ten go down, Benjamin stays with me. And so when Joseph's brothers arrived, <clears throat> catch this, 
he bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Just like the dreams he had when he was a 17-year-old boy that created so much tension with him and his brothers that Judah sold him into slavery. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, listen, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. They, They would not have recognized Joseph because he would have been fully immersed in Egyptian culture. So for Hebrews, they wore beards. For Egyptians, they shaved. They were bald. They were clean shaven. But he also spoke Egyptian. Later we find out that he had an interpreter. Here's what I love about what God did for Joseph. He did not allow him to forget his family. Remember how he named his firstborn son Manasseh? He's like, I don't want you to forget. I don't want you to forget your family. Because there's an important reason I don't want you to forget your family. There was still an opportunity ahead for Joseph that he wasn't expecting. He, he wasn't even praying for it necessarily. And there was an emotional situation for Joseph, and we're going to see later in the story perhaps that he remembered his dreams as a teenager. Remember the first dream had to do with grain? Did the grain bowed before his grain stock? The second dream had to do with sun, moon, and stars, and we're going to talk about that. And in both cases, they were going to bow to him. So notice the exchange between Joseph and his brothers. And then he remembered his dreams about them, and he said, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. <clears throat> we are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. Now, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with the father, and one is no more. Joseph said to them, is just as I told you, you are spies. And this is how I'm going to test you. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, if you have changed, if you are no longer the brothers who sold me into slavery, then let one of your brothers stay here in prison, while the rest of you go and take grain back For your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me. So that your words may be verified. And that you may not die. So this they proceeded to do. They said one to another. Notice this. Surely we are being punished because of our brother. The ironic thing is they forgot. Joseph, he, he forgot about it. But they didn't forget about it. 
They were still ravaged with guilt. They were still ravaged with shame. And they said, we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. What his brothers did to him was wrong. And he wanted to see if they had changed. And the ironic thing is that Joseph, he forgot the misery of being sold into slavery. Yet his brothers never forgot what they did to him. They didn't expect Joseph to survive the slavery. So Joseph does one final test before they go back to Canaan. He actually gives back their money they used to spend on the grain. And he put that money back in their bag. If they stayed home, they would be thieves. But if they go back to return the money, they had to bring Benjamin. They were in a lose-lose situation. He was in a win-win situation. So they delayed. They get back home, they delay. Time went by and they ran out of grain from Egypt. And either way, they have to go back. So either they go back or they starve to death. So Jacob sends them back to buy more food. But they have to bring Benjamin with them. This made Jacob incredibly uncomfortable because left up to his sons, he believed he lost Joseph. He's lost Simeon, who stayed behind, and now, potentially, Benjamin. And then Judah. Remember Judah? Judah was the one that had the idea of selling Joseph into slavery. Pleaded for his life. Judah didn't care. He sold his brother into slavery. This is a man who was willing to give everything he had to spend a night with a prostitute. He was very careless with his responsibility. He was very careless with his authority. Notice Judah comes back into the picture and he makes a very unexpected offer. I don't think anybody saw this coming. Send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. Dad, oh God, Dad, listen, we cannot starve. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. Dad, listen, if I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. And this provided Judah an opportunity to show that he was a changed man. It was his idea to sell Joseph. Now he is willing to be the one to put everything on the line for good. When they arrived, they told Joseph the administrator about the money being found in their bags. So Joseph, man of his word, releases Simeon. They invite them to a dinner where he seats them according to their birth order. How freaky would that be? Like, how do they know? You had Reuben, then you had Simeon, then you had Judah, and so on, and so on, and so on. And then he provided them a final test to his brothers. He had silver placed in their sacks, along with the silver cup placed in Benjamin's bag. Then he sent his minister to arrest Benjamin for stealing his cup. Notice what Judah does your servant 
guarantee the boy's safety to my father. Listen, I am your slave now. I'm your servant now. I am here to serve you, Joseph, even though he didn't know it was Joseph. I'm here to serve you. Listen, I made this promise that if I did not bring him back to my dad, that I would bear the blame. So, please, let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in the place of the boy. And let the boy, Benjamin, return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come to my father. So not only was, was Judah confessing how wrong they were in selling off Joseph and covering it up, but he was confessing that they were servants to Joseph, fulfilling the dream, fulfilling the first dream. The first dream is that the brothers would bow before him, and it happened, and it did. But it also shows that Judah is interceding for Benjamin. He's now willing to be the one putting everything on the line. And Judah models two things for us. Number one, that forgiveness and reconciliation is impossible without repentance. It wasn't their confession of guilt or shame. It wasn't their sacrifices. It wasn't the gifts that, that bought or brought salvation to Judah and his family. It was repenting and it was Joseph's forgiveness, which only happened because of his own suffering on their behalf, which is a picture of Jesus. If Joseph did not suffer the way that he suffered, he would not be the one to be able to rescue them. That's Jesus. Jesus went to the cross bearing our guilt, bearing our shame, so that he could save us. So that the Father, through him, could save us. We are guilty of breaking God's law. And we receive forgiveness through repenting and trusting Jesus dying in our place. As Joseph showed kindness generosity to his brothers god shows kindness and generosity to us through repentance but judah is an example of how jesus interceded on our behalf jesus is our guarantor hebrews seven twenty two says this jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant what the author is letting us know is as long as jesus lives which is forever God doesn't condemn you. God doesn't condemn me. God doesn't condemn us. We have Jesus' word on that. That's a guarantee that our forgiveness and then our reconciliation with God the Father is forever. There's no going back on that. That's a guarantee. You remember how we mentioned earlier that it's a trait for us to pray for opportunities? And we typically pray selfishly. God give me this. God give me that. Have you prayed for an opportunity without remembering your purpose? Have you prayed for an opportunity without remembering your purpose? It reminds me of a story in the late 1800s. No business matched the financial and political dominance of the railroads. Trains dominated the transportation industry of the United States, moving both people and goods throughout the country. Then a new discovery came along, the car. And incredibly, the leaders of the railroad industry did not take advantage of their unique position to participate in their transportation development. And in, in his book, The Search for Excellence, Tom Peters points out the reason. The railroad barons didn't understand what business they were in. They thought they were in the train business. But 
They were, in fact, in the transportation business. Time passed them by, as did opportunity. They couldn't see what their real purpose was. You and I, we could get so caught up in our own story. We could get, up, we could get caught up in ourselves that we forget that there's more to the opportunities that God gives us. Each opportunity that you're praying for, each opportunity that God gives you is a gift from Him to do two things. One, to bring Him fame and to invite as many people as possible to a life with Jesus. Notice what Paul writes. He says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So this opportunity that maybe I've been praying for, maybe that God provides for me, that I wasn't expecting, is to bring fame, to bring attention to Him. Because we know that a life with Jesus is better than a life without Him. But also, notice what Paul writes. Do not cause anyone to stumble. Use your opportunity to help. Whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way. Notice this. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. There's an opportunity that you've been given to invest in God's kingdom. There's an opportunity to use your gifts and your talents so that people would know and understand that a life with Jesus is so much better than a life without. That it's worth following Jesus. Well, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminder that there are times where you provide us an opportunity we're not praying for. There are other opportunities that you do that we're praying for that you provide for us. Regardless of either one, that we are not forgetting our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify you, to, to, to make much of you, to bring fame and attention to you. It's also to point people to Jesus. Help us to be faithful in those opportunities. And Father, I ask that you would allow us to be very unselfish as we're praying for these opportunities. Help us to be very unselfish as we are in these opportunities. And Father, thank you that everything that you allow us to experience is a gift from you. In Jesus' name.